Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Lord in our text today talks about being anxious. And I will admit, in many ways, this text was one that uh, kind of caught me or was really meaningful to me this week. Because during the whole COVID lockdown, if there was one thing I was dealing with more than any others, was often times of anxiety, both from being stuck in the house and not being able to go anywhere and wondering what was going on, and also the recognition that as your pastor, trying to weigh these currents of what's good and proper for how we gather together or what we can do and what we can't do, recognizing that decisions that were made could very well affect whether we became a hotspot here in this church. Even now, it's always something that's in the back of my mind. Are we doing what we can to keep everyone safe and all of that? And we can have different understandings or discussions of what is good and what's needed and proper, but it doesn't change that anxiety can be there, even when there might not be a genuine or actual reason for it. In our text today, Jesus addresses anxiety and I would put forth that he is making a difference, not simply from the text we read today, but from his actions at other times in anxieties we deal with. Because there are different anxieties. And in my outline, I talked about actual versus trivial issues. I don't think I'd use the word actual because I don't want to disparage the smaller anxieties. But I would say there are significant anxieties, ones that are grounded in your situation. And there are times we get anxious about things that really are trivial. Here our Lord talks about being anxious about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. And there is a big difference between whether you're talking about do you have clothing to wear at all or do you have food in your shelves to eat, being anxious about what you're wearing or about what you're eating. Whether we're, whether we're sporting the latest fashion or eating the richest foods, that's different than when you are like the widow in Zarephath who thought she was going to be baking her last loaf of bread so that her son and she could die. Jesus deals with the first very compassionately. We saw how he sat, sat down with the widow or with the widow of Nain, whose son had just passed away. As that funeral procession is going out, Luke records, Jesus didn't say to her, too bad your son passed away, but rejoice, the kingdom of heaven is yours. No, he was compassionate and dealt with her and provided for her in her time of need. As we deal with our text today, there's a couple things we need to remember. And these are ones that are critically to understanding how God helps us and provides for us when we are dealing with anxieties. The first is this, that one thing is true, whether we're dealing with significant or trivial issues leading to our anxiety, that if we are talking about what we should do, what we would be doing if we were without sin, the answer is simple. We would be keeping the first commandment, which is that we would fear, trust, and love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and we would never be anxious. Whether we were in the situation as the widow of Zarephath where we thought we were going to have to starve to death, 
or whether we were worried about what, what we were wearing to the latest fashion, dance, or whatever we might have. We would put our trust in the Lord and say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, whatever happens, happens, and I know I am grounded in the Lord's love and mercy. And it is also true, when we are talking about our place before God in the doctrine of justification, in our standing before God according to our salvation, whether we are simply anxious in thought about a little thing or anxious in thought about a big thing, those are equally sin before God. But as I shared with you last week, we have to put a wall when we talk about the Christian life versus Christian salvation, between justification and sanctification. Sometimes we let teachings of the one side bleed into the others and it makes things very wrong. When we are talking about our salvation before God, it is absolutely true all sins are equal, equally damning. Sins of thought, word, and deed. But in the Christian life, our life of sanctification, that is, recognizing and confessing we are, are already saved. We have been clothed in the robes of righteousness, we are covered in Christ's blood, and we have a place, the kingdom of heaven. Our names are written in the book of life. Now, what does it look like to live as a Christian according to his word? It is absolutely true that sins are not equal. Sins of thought are very insignificant compared to sins of deed. If a husband's walking down the beach and gets distracted by a scantily clad woman, that's one thing. It is significantly different than if he ends up having an affair with her. Likewise, when we're dealing with sins of anxiety, our Lord's addressing the fact that so often we get caught up in things that really are inconsequential. Whether you're wearing the latest fashion sets, at the end of the day, is meaningless. Whether you're able to dine on the grandest courses of the meal, like those who are the rich of the rich, is inconsequential. So what do we do with anxiety? Anxiety stems from the fact that, at the end of the day, we don't trust in God. We don't trust him to guard our honor. We don't trust him to provide for us or we don't see how we can get us through the problems we are in. Again, I know I was struggling with this greatly during the months of March and April. How are we going to navigate this new thing that we're dealing with? When is it going to end? How am I going to visit people? How am I going to do whatever? Some concerns were greater than others. Some were trivial. But at the end of the day, it all stems down from the fact that regardless of how much we see God act in our lives, every time a new problem arises, it's so easy to doubt and wonder, to give in to the temptations and the accusations and the lies of Satan that, will God really provide again? Jesus says, do not be anxious about this life. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the days of its own troubles. Our Lord's not telling us that there are not troubles in the world. What he is telling us, though, is at the end of the day, he provides in season and out. What's truly amazing is the thing about anxiety, again, 
for those who might be struggling with anxiety, I don't mean to just put it aside and say, just turn it off, because that's a struggle. But the reality about anxiety is it's a useless endeavor to some extent, to a great extent. And why do I say that? Because God tells us, and Jesus shares with us in his talk today, that he provides for you regardless of whether you're anxious about it, regardless even of whether you pray about it. While we simply go through the catechism, and I don't necessarily try to align the catechism portion with our readings, having the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer is a great petition to hear and recite on this day especially. Because as Martin Luther says, the Lord gives us even without our prayers, even to all evil people, Look, the Lord says, at the sparrows who are in the sky. The Lord provides for them. And if he provides for the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, how much more will he not provide for you, the one whom he gave up his very life for? Jesus didn't die for the beasts of the field. He didn't die for the sparrows of the air. He died for you. He gave up his life for you. And if that's the case, how much more will he not give you all things? The Lord will give us what we have. Here's where I also need to point out a different thing, because as Christians, we recognize what that means. That does not mean that he will always provide materially and take away your earthly problems. So there are no more. What's interesting about the widow of Zarephath, where she was about to have nothing and suddenly the Lord made it so that the flour would be never ending and the oil jar would never empty? Jesus reminds the people that there were many widows in the day of Elijah who were in that exact same situation. And Elijah only went to one. This wasn't because she was special or more faithful or what have you. The Lord selected her to provide for his prophet. What does that tell us? That there may be times that not only do you know what, not only are you unable to choose what fashion sense you should wear, or that you will have to settle with a hamburger instead of a filet, filet mignon steak, but it also means there may be time you don't even have something to wear, that you don't even have food on your plate. You could be like those other widows who end up starving to death and having to watch their children die. So what good does that do us? Well, here's what we know as Christians. What the Lord means when he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Because here's what we do know, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Even if we don't have a stitch of clothing to wear, even if we do not have a crumb of bread to eat. The Lord himself has clothed you in an array of clothing that is far greater than anything Solomon ever wore in his grand and spectacular kingdom. Because what you wear is the clothing of Christ. What you wear is his righteousness. In your baptism, our Lord enfolded you in his righteousness, and you shine brighter than the stars in his sight. Today, at this table, we gather with a meal that is far greater than the most splendid and most expensive meal on this earth. 
It is the bread of life itself. We partake. The Lord has given you promises. And as his children, we know at the very core of it, the promise that stands above all is this truth. Your name is written in the book of life, and you shall dwell in his kingdom. Even now, we are citizens of that eternal kingdom, even as we await for its appearance in our Lord's return. But our Lord doesn't stop there. Because while we do have troubles every day, and while those troubles will not end until he returns again in glory, and while he may not always give what we want, he may not always provide that that mighty steak dinner, this is what he will give you, and what he has given you. By clothing you in his righteousness, he has given you his spirit. By placing his name in the book of life, he has made you his child. By dying for you on the cross, he has paid for your sins. And you have eternal life. There is nothing in this world that can change that truth. And so when we face struggles and strife, it changes our perspective. You know, I'm sure you heard the news about the Chief Ju- or the Justice Ginsburg passing away. Regardless of your political persuasion and whether uh, what side of the political aisle you are on, I'm sure all of us recognize how this has just made an already tough election year so much worse. The vitriol is going to only grow. Who knows what's going to happen on election day, regardless of who's elected. One side or the other is not going to be happy, and who knows what that will lead to. Talk about anxious times indeed. But it doesn't matter for us. Because even if the nation should burn, or should it become the most prosperous nation in the world, it does not matter at the end of the day. Because our kingdom, our Lord, our citizenship is in that kingdom which will not end and will never go away. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for today's problems are sufficient on its own. The Lord does provide. And we, who know the truth, can take comfort in the assurance that he is our ever-present help in time of need. And that's a promise that will never go away. Amen. We rise. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let us now confess our faith together as we confess the words of the Nicene Creed, found on page 158.